Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. We are in our Advent series, and it's beginning to feel a little bit like Christmas. Can we agree, right? Like anybody else thankful that it got a little cooler this week? That you got to dust your sweaters off. If you have a fireplace, you got to build a fire, right? Like it's starting to feel a lot like Christmas. And what we've been doing is joining in with the global church in this season of Advent, which means a season of awaiting or waiting for the coming or waiting for the arrival of Jesus. And so we take these four weeks leading up to Christmas where we say, you know what, let's look at what Jesus did for us and what it meant that he brought hope, love, joy, and peace to us. And what we've been using kind of as our uh, anchor passage in this Advent season is Isaiah 9. Um, and it says this in verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And last week we said, like, that verse alone is encouraging, right? Like, that's just says it all, stands alone, like, wow, amazing, there's going to be this hero that is going to come in the form of a child and it's going to come with it like this new government and it's going to be wonderful and he's going to be a counselor. And then we looked at Isaiah 9, what surrounds this verse, right? Like not just verse 6, but we looked at the first eight verses of Isaiah 9 last week. And without kind of going back and preaching my sermon from last week, just understand that Isaiah 9 paints a beautiful picture of a conquering hero that is going to invade the earth and shift and change everything. That the entire chapter paints this amazing picture of this hero, this Emmanuel, this God that's going to come and be with us and that heavy yokes are going to be shattered off the people of God. That darkness is going to be removed and light is going to come. That those who are in a season of mourning are going to be filled with a sense of joy. That there's not going to be any more war. There's going to be peace. People are going to get along. And thus we said that it's not just what Isaiah 9 verse 6 tells us about who Jesus is. When we look at the entire chapter of Isaiah 9, we understand that then and now humanity is and will always be looking for a rescuer from the struggles that we find ourselves in. But we can miss that Emmanuel, the God that is with us, has come to be with us in the struggles and the pain and the chaos that we're in. Jesus' coming gave us access to him in all and through all that we're going to face in life. And it's his nearness, it's his presence, and it's the access that we now have to him that will give us the hope, the love, the joy, and the peace that he's promised us. The wonderful counselor, the, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace has come to be with us in the pain. He's come to bring peace 
in the storm. He's come to give us joy in our mourning, to come in love in the midst of shame. He is with us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This arrival of Jesus coming into the earth, we talked a little bit in these prior weeks about how it was so unusual that when you read the descriptions of Jesus' coming and what was going to happen when Emmanuel, this God with us, was going to come, that then he shows up like in the, out, in the suburbs, in the poor part of town, in a manger, and you kind of go like, like, really? Like, is this really? This isn't happening how I thought it was going to happen. But there is one part of the Jesus' story of him coming into the earth that makes absolute sense. And it's in Luke 2. This is totally what you think is going to happen. Luke 2, verse 10, there's this angelic parade, all this like heaven popping stance happens when Jesus is born. And you're kind of like you're reading the story of Jesus is entering the earth, and you're like, okay, now this part, like, I could see this happening, like the manger part, I don't know if I get it, like the manger, kind of that, like, why, but, but this, like, angels declaring who Jesus is and what it means, like, that part makes sense, right? And it says this in Luke 2, verse 10, that the angels said to them, that them here, some shepherds, they were out in the field watching their sheep, it says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause. Can you just take a minute? If you have a Bible and you have a pen, underline that word. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. This morning... I want us to look at how joy happens to us. It's not an emotion that happens in us. Can I say that again? Joy happens to us. It's not an emotion that happens in us. Let's just pray one more time. God, we are so thankful that we get to be together this morning. We thank, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this incredible church that you're building here in Austin, and Lord, we're just asking that you would overwhelm us with your leadership and your grace. Get me out of the way. Let the Bible come alive to us in a powerful way this morning. And everybody said, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a question, but here's the deal. Honesty rules here at Antioch. Can we just make a commitment that from this point forward, no lying. How many of you have not started Christmas shopping yet? Appreciate your honesty. Okay, now here's the deal. Somehow, some way, first time in my life, I'm done. Okay, I don't know how that happened because I was the quintessential, and probably next year I'll revert back to my original self. Like I, I have believed for my entire life that, that it takes pressure to make diamonds. Right, like it's the heat of the deadline that's going to cause greatness. Now, that's probably actually not true, but that's what I've been telling myself is I am the guy on Christmas Eve looking for the stores that are open, trying to find the perfect gift primarily for my wife. But somehow, I made it happen already. She took care of the kids, so really I just had to get one gift, and I got it, but I'm still done. I'm still done, you know, so I'm taking it as a W. Now, I, I love Christmas. Like, Christmas time is, it's like, amazing. 
I love the focus on Jesus' coming. I love the gift giving. I love the generosity. I love the sweaters. I love trees and lights and candy and fudge, right? I love, I, I love it all. There's just something magical about this time of year, right? Like I've always felt that way. I've always loved it. But when you have kids, it kind of like goes level 100 on how like special this time of year is. And like I felt that when my daughter Sophie, she's our oldest, now she's 13. But when she kind of hit, it was like around three or four, like it started making sense to her that she was going to get presents. Right? And, And so like everything just became so so cool to her. Like this, the whole, she got, she got it, right? She got how cool Christmas is. She got how fun it is. Like, and, and, and we were like, you know what? We got to make this Christmas just perfect. We got to get the perfect gift that, that she's going to love, like presents she's going to play with. And just, you know, so we're racking our brains like, Liz and I just really want to maximize it. Like, man, this is the first Christmas that kind of Sophie can tell that it's Christmas. And and we want it to be so special. And so we found this, like, vintage mini kitchen, right? And Sophie loved to, like, help Liz cook and, and, and bake stuff and all that. And she's still, and honestly, she's the best cook in our house. Like, she's phenomenal. She, like, makes desserts from scratch. Like, it's amazing. She's so good at it. But it, and it, her interest in that world started very, very young. And so we see this, like, vintage old school kind of real looking kitchen we're like that's it like that's the perfect the perfect gift for Sophie and so we get it now of course because I believe that pressure leads to diamonds I didn't even open the box to look at the instructions until 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve because we had this like you know we've watched movies the kids walk out into the living room and their gifts are all set up and everything, and it's just like this beautiful, utopic thing. So we wanted that. We're, this has got to be the perfect Christmas, right? So I start building this house, basically, at 10 p.m. The magic of the moment left at about midnight. Okay, just going to let you know. Like, is it any other parents in the house, like, had this idea, like, oh, I'm going to set this up, and it's going to be great, and they're going to walk in the living room at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're like, this was a horrible idea, but now I have to finish because they're not going to be excited about a bag of screws and a pile of boards. Like, I, now I'm in it. I'm in it to win it, so, like, I've got to finish this thing out. And so I stay up, like, almost all night putting all these mini screws into this, like, it was horrible. And, and so, but, but here's the deal. So, Sophie saw it. It was, um, it was everything we wanted it to be, right? She was, like, running her little feet. You know how kids, little kids run without bending their knees? Have y'all noticed that? It's like you don't, you don't really start using your knees until you become a teenager, right? It's like, so they, they kind of run, like, you know what I mean, like that. And so she does that. And it's just amazing, and we're having fun, and it's great, and we're sitting in the living room, and there's a fire, and this is awesome, and we lived in Seattle at the time, so it was actually like freezing. It just felt like Christmas, you know, and we're Liz and I are sitting on the couch having a conversation, and Sophie is at her little kitchen pretending to make us something, you know, and she keeps bringing us these little fake dishes, and we're pretending to eat them, you know, and it's awesome for about 30 minutes. And then... We start hearing this rustling, and we look over, and Sophie has now forgotten the kitchen, 
and is now obsessed with the wrapping paper. Now I'm thinking, no, 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 Sophie, (laughs) the perfect gift is right here and you're playing with the box. And so I try to like tempt her, come on, no, like make daddy some tea, you know, like a crumpet, you know, like give me. And she's just like, no matter what we did, we could not get her away from playing from the trash. It's like all of a sudden trash became the best gift of Christmas, like boxes and wrapping paper. Now, here's the thing. I should not have been surprised by this. I should have known this was going to happen. And here's why. Because humans are horrible at identifying what's going to make us happy and content. We are horrible in identifying, man, if I do that, I'm going to be happy. And you see the evidence is all over our culture. I mean, how many of you have heard the horrific stories? Maybe you've lived it of families being split in half because somebody wasn't happy. People leaving kids are not happy. We like chase, we chase this like idea of happiness, like it's like we're going to find it somewhere, that like, that that we're going to change where we live and we're going to be happy. We're going to change who we wake up next to, we're going to be happy. We're going to change our career, then I'm going to be happy. It's like we're, we're willing to change everything, disrupt everything, blow everything up as we're chasing this idea of like, I'm just trying to be happy. And kind of the question that I want us to lean into a bit this morning is similar to the question I had for us last week. It's like, maybe we're looking at this happiness thing the wrong way. Like, maybe we're, we're, we're coming at this idea of happiness as if it is joy. And I just want to say that happiness can happen when you are joyful, but you can have joy when you're not happy. They're not the same. Joy is a belief and happiness is an emotion. When Jesus entered into the earth, the decoration of heaven was not, now I'm going to cause you to be happy. It said, I'm going to cause a great joy for the people. Joy is something that happens to us. It's not an emotion that we feel in us. We're horrible at trying to identify the things that are going to make us happy because we're looking for something to happen out here when Jesus wants to do something in here that's going to cause joy to radiate from us and impact what we feel about what we see. If you have a Bible, I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now what's happening in this passage, give us a a little content or context, excuse me, for what we're going to be leaning into this morning, is that the books of Corinthians, like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, were letters written by a guy named Paul to a church that was in Corinth. And what we find here is that Paul, who is kind of the leader of these churches, 
we find these moments of, of correction, admonishment, and encouragement that Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers, and he is bringing to them truth in the midst of questions. He's bringing them hope in the midst of difficulty. But we find something unique in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, because what we find is that Paul is giving them vision for his build the house campaign, right? His giving push for the church that's in Jerusalem. He's raising funds for the church that is in Jerusalem by encouraging the church that's in Corinth that now understand the church that was in Jerusalem was filled by people that had a Jewish background and the church that was in Corinth was filled with people who were not Jews. They were Gentiles. They had a Gentile background. So these two did not associate They did not really support each other, and there was a lot of ethnic and cultural hurdles that needed to be jumped over, crossed, and healed as they both felt misunderstood by one another. And Paul is saying, hey, church in Corinth, I want you to get behind this church that's in Jerusalem And I want you to give to them and support them. I know you felt misunderstood by them. I know you felt judged by them. I know that you've been hurt by them. But I want you to demonstrate generosity to them by supporting them as they find themselves because of war, because of all types of conflict, because of wrongdoing. They find themselves in a really really tough spot and how many of you would believe with me that as the church we have the back of the church that didn't hit as hard as I wanted it to hit what you're going to find here at Antioch is that we are not a people that's going to bash other churches it's not going to happen It's not necessarily that we're going to believe what everybody else believes and we're going to just be okay with what's happening. But what you're never going to hear from us is us swinging about at somebody because they're different than us. I don't see that bearing any fruit in Scripture, and I definitely don't see that in the character of God. And what Paul is doing here is he is calling this church in Corinth To be a church that has the back of the church, even if that church looks different, talks different. That we are one house with many rooms. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so in this story, excuse me, in this letter that he's writing to the Corinthian church, he opens by encouraging them by another church that was in Macedonia who had supported this church that was in Jerusalem. Again, this church in Macedonia was filled with Gentile believers, just like the church in Corinth. And so his admonishment, his vision talk, his rally cry for this church to have the back of the Jerusalem church was this. It says in verse 1, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches because in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. Hold on. Did, did you got okay, anybody watch Sesame Street? You know that there was that song in Sesame Street? One of these things does not match the other. 
one of these things does not match the other. You guys, anybody else? Okay. Verse 2, we could sing that song. You know, Sesame Street, they put like a bunch of red balloons in one blue balloon, you know, and they're like, what, you know, which one of these does not, right? We could do the same thing in verse 2. In the midst of their severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty. Which one doesn't fit? Overflowing joy. Right in the midst of their severe trial. In their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity in the midst of their severe trial. Do you want to know about this severe trial? What was happening here is that they were in a famine that was so severe that it was one of those times in history when everyone knew someone who had died from starvation. This was absolute, a horrific time in that area of the world where there was no way to support your family, no food to be found. This was a famine that was raw. I mean, it would be safe to say that no one in this moment was moving to Macedonia because they had heard rumors that it was the happiest place on earth. Like, would you agree that family members of yours dying simply because you didn't have food to feed them would not evoke the emotion of happiness? Like that, that would not feel happy. Yet, in the midst of their severe trial and their extreme poverty, they had overflowing joy. Why? Because joy happens to us. It's not an emotion in us. It's a belief. It's not a feeling. And so this church in Macedonia was overflowing with Joy, they, 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 their joy could not be touched even though their circumstances were not filled with joy. I'm sure they were feeling the ups and downs of emotions that we would all feel in a severe trial. Right? How, how many of you have been on the roller coaster of your emotions in the midst of a hard time? Where it kind of just depends on when someone asks you how you're doing and how you're doing. Right, I've started asking those questions or answering those questions in hard times with like, well, right now, I feel fine, right? Maybe in 30 minutes, I might not, right? Because that's what the human heart cannot be trusted. Uh, emotions are like crashing waves, man. Like it, th that's why we can't go by what we feel and we have to go by what we believe to be true. And the declaration over the earth, the atmosphere-shifting statement over the earth when Jesus entered our planet was that joy was going to happen to us. It's going to cause a great joy to happen to the people. It's going to bring joy to us. Do you see that who is with us causes joy to come from us? who is with us, causes joy to come from us. Jesus' nearness changes what we believe. Now, this is important because what we believe can disrupt what we feel. 
What, what we believe can disrupt what we feel, and Jesus' nearness changes what we can believe. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Andrew preached, and he started telling the story of our family that happened about a year and a half, oh, almost two years ago now, where my wife, Elizabeth, suddenly had a stroke. No one saw it coming. There was no kind of like medical warning signs. She was healthy, young, active. And then all of a sudden, boom, she's paralyzed. And I, I remember like trying to hold it together. And in that first morning, like I woke up thinking that I had had a nightmare that my wife was fighting for her life in a hospital bed. And I woke up with this like sense of relief and I looked over to her side of the bed and she wasn't there. And it just like hit me like this is not a nightmare. Like this is my life. And it was so hard. I mean, my best friend. Am I going to be able to talk to her again? Like are we going to be able to hang out? Is she going to be in a wheelchair? Like, now I'm a single dad. She was in the hospital for a month. Like, I'm just trying to keep people fed, get them to school with homework done. I got to be honest, like, I signed some sheets we didn't do. I'm just going to be, all right, just true confession. You know, they're like, did you do this? I'm like, we did it. Yeah, we did. But, like, we, we do everything as a team. And so now all my, my teammate is gone. Like, how am I going to keep doing this? And, and I remember driving to the hospital, and I was riding the emotional wave of what happens when you're going through a hard time. And in that moment, if you asked me, how are you doing, I would have said horrible. Because what I was feeling was being dramatically impacted by what I was seeing. And what I was seeing is, is my wife can't walk. She can barely talk. We don't know if she's going to get better. Not only did she have a stroke, the stroke revealed that she had two brain aneurysms. It's going to lead to two brain surgeries. She's going to need to have a heart surgery that's going to repair the hole in her heart that caused. It was a season of bad news. And I'm driving to the hospital, and just the weight of everything that was swirling around me was just so heavy. I'm like, I can't, I, I just can't do this. I, I'm done. I just, I'm, I'm done. This doesn't feel happy. I just cr pray, God, just help. I remember, it's like God grabbed me by the face and gave me this little phrase. He didn't say much, but he said, Liz is going to be fine, and you're going to thrive. And then it's like he said it again. It's like, hey, Liz is going to be fine, and you're going to thrive. And so I, I, something in my soul just grabbed that as truth. And that became like our family mantra. It's like, guys, we're going to feel a lot of stuff through this. 
We're going to have days where we feel sad. We're going to have days where we feel hopeless. We're going to have days where we feel overwhelmed. But what we're going to believe is that mom is going to be fine and we are going to thrive. And it was the belief that allowed us to experience joy in the midst of a painful circumstance. It wasn't like the circumstance all of a sudden shifted and became enjoyable. No, it stayed hard. It stayed confusing. It stayed where we needed a lot of breakthrough. We needed church to come around us. We needed people to pray for us. But our internal world became strong because we were not allowing what we feel to take us away from what we believe to be true. And we get a window into how the, the Macedonian church, who in the midst of severe trial and extreme poverty, had overflowing joy. It says this in verse 5, they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. Look, I, I don't know of a circumstance, a situation where it is not going to be benefited by you giving yourself first of all, to the Lord. Because what this does is this puts you from the beginning of your day in a place of strength versus looking for strength in the chaos of your day. When we give ourselves first to the Lord, Psalms 30 verse 5 says it perfectly. It says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You know, some versions of this scripture say that joy comes in the morning. I don't know what's going on in your world, but I know this, that there is strength for you. There's an atmosphere shifting belief that is for you that can anchor you in the midst of all that you feel because joy happens to you. It's not an emotion that happens in you. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is a great book to read if you're looking to build your life into all that God has called you to be. You would be benefited by spending some time and studying Nehemiah. And the reason is, is that Nehemiah was a man who got burdened to see the city of God be built back into its glory, although it had been destroyed by exile, had been destroyed by this, this, this horrible things, war, conflict. And so there was nothing but rubble that represented where the city of God was. And Nehemiah said, no, we're going to build the house here and it's going to be a beacon of hope and life and the faithfulness of God and in the middle of that there's like all these incredible things that we can pull from the story of Nehemiah but something happened in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 because Nehemiah after the building had happened and they kind of made it over the hump of the threats of the people that were trying to stop them from doing everything that they were doing there was this moment where Nehemiah realized, you know what, I think our problem is, is that the people are not giving themselves first to the Lord. That it's been a really long time since the people had heard the word of God. And so he stopped all everything. He pulled everybody together and he said, we're going to have the priest read the Bible to us. And so the priest just started reading the Bible. 
And the people just got overwhelmed. They were undone by how far they had fallen from the truth of who God was. They were overwhelmed by how far they had shifted and drifted from the righteousness that they had been called to live. They, they were overwhelmed at how they had become obsessed with the idolatry that they were chasing and not the God that had created them and longed for relationship with them. And so there's this like this weeping that just erupts as the scriptures are being read. People are just crying. They're heavy hearted. They're grieving. They're, they're sad. They're, they're, they, they can't believe what they've become. And Nehemiah hears all of this weeping and he hears all of this crying and he stands up and he says, stop. This day, verse 10, is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What he's saying is don't obsess about how far you've fallen. Don't consume your thoughts with how far you've gone. Be overwhelmed by the strength that comes in understanding that God has come. And when God comes, He gives strength. He, get, he causes joy. So He's saying the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's like, look, don't be overwhelmed by the sin that is in you. Be refreshed by the God who is near to you. Let the past stay in the past. We're moving forward and we can look with open eyes and hope in our hearts and love in our face because God is with us. And when God is with us, it causes a great joy to come from us. It's not in grieving, it's in joy. And Jesus is described this perfectly in Isaiah 61 because Jesus stands up beginning of his ministry 30 years after he was born 30 years after the angelic pomp and stance of Luke 2 verse 10 when there was this declaration over the earth that the one has come that's going to cause a great joy for all the people Jesus stands up in the temple and he reads this passage Isaiah 61 and it says this the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Jesus' coming to the earth gives us access to atmosphere-shifting beliefs that will change how we see what's happening in front of us because of what His joy has caused to us. Our emotions are going to go like this, but our joy can stay like this. Because our joy is not affected by our circumstances. It's not affected by a hard time. It's not affected by a good time. Our joy is a belief. It's a position that God is with us. And when God is with us, mourning turns to joy. 
darkness turns to light despair turns to hope grieving turns to laughing when God is with us everything changes because he's near to us again remember it's not that God came to rescue us from the struggle it's that God came to be Emmanuel in the struggle he's with us in the fight we're not looking for a way out we're looking for the God who calls us to have a way in because when we are with him it doesn't matter what's happening to us it doesn't matter who's around us it doesn't matter the accusation that happens it doesn't matter how painful the circumstance how sad how wrong how broken we can experience atmosphere shifting joy because Jesus causes he causes are you hear what I'm saying he causes a great joy he causes a great hope he causes a great love he causes a great peace we are awaiting the one in these days we're remembering that we have access to all in all through him he causes us to have joy in the morning he causes us to experience hope and despair it's something that happens to us not some emotion that we feel in us. Amen? Can you stand to your feet?